The Rogers sugar strike is over. Quebec to launch a new program to pay people to study to be personal care attendants. The feds flow money to small municipalities to help build housing. Israeli snipers have been targeting a hospital in Gaza and Ethiopia likely killed more than 45 people in the Amhara region. Good morning. It's Wednesday, February 14th. Ah, what day is that again? Mm, I forget. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. First, the Rogers sugar strike is over. The 140 members had been on strike since September over management's desire for them to work 24 hours, seven days per week. Management also wanted to impose mandatory 12-hour shifts. They are members of the Public and Private Workers of Canada Local 8, and they voted unanimously in favor of a strike. The Thais Zach Viscara talked with Dan Hardy, a plant worker, who said that the workers had to unite to get through difficult times. Quote, every single person did their part. We banded together and we did what we needed to do. Unquote. Viscara reports that the workers won the right to keep their current working hours, but they conceded to allow shifts on 12 weekends per year. Workers who work those weekend shifts will get overtime pay and any extra weekend shifts will be voluntary. The pay increase that the workers got was 18% over five years. Viscara also writes about a Canada goose who the strikers took on as their buddy and mascot during the strike named Reginald Stryker. I don't know if that was the name that the goose's mother gave him or if this is what the strikers called him. This is what Viscara writes about Stryker. Quote, Stryker's routine visits to the picket line became a bomb for weary workers. At one point, Stryker blocked a company truck from exiting the refinery, something that would violate the province's labor codes were geese subject to such laws. Unquote. And for Hardy, one of the guys who looked out for Stryker, Viscara quotes him saying this, quote, he was the dude of dudes, unquote. Next, Quebec's government has created a new program to train personal care workers who will work for people in their homes. The new program will include a short-term training program, and people taking the course will be paid to do it. Stéphane Bordelot reports that the positions will be called Auxiliaires au Service de Santé et Sociaux, or Health and Social Service Auxiliaries. The training will last 705 hours over five months. That cuts down the time to train people from the regular length of time, which is 870 hours. The program will be offered in all regions of the province and should be open to students in the coming weeks. The hope is that these positions will take the pressure off people relying on private agencies to staff personal care worker positions. For the five-month training, students will receive $12,000, but they have to commit to working for at least six months in Quebec's health system after they finish. There is already a new program which has been operating since last May to accelerate the training for workers who work in CHSLDs and RPAs, or long-term care and retirement homes. That is also paying people a $12,000 bursary as well. The goal was to recruit and train 5,000 people through that program, and so far, 3,000 people have gone through the training. Bordelot doesn't quote any unions or professional standards groups in the piece, so I'm not sure if there were concerns that these trainings would be too short. 
or if it's fine because the people will learn mostly on the job anyway. But Le Syndicat Québécois des employés, employés de service, affiliated with the FTQ, welcomed the new jobs and said that they were committed to working with the government to ensure that these workers will be paid and supported enough to be successful. Next to the federal government, the Canadian press is reporting that the federal government is spending $176 million to send to 60 rural communities for 50,000 housing units. I did some math for you. That is about $3 million per community if you divide it equally, which of course it isn't likely to be. And per unit of housing promised, that amount represents $3,520. Oof, that seems low. Let's, Let's hear the details. Well, the Minister of Housing, Sean Fraser, is quoted saying that he's excited to do this and so on, and that these agreements are being signed with municipalities through something called its, quote, Housing Accelerator Fund, unquote. Basically, municipalities get money in exchange for making bylaws and regulations more friendly to more home building. Those are the Canadian press's words. Coming from a small town where there's always pressure to destroy farmland and forest by building two big, hideous houses that would have rotten windows on them within a decade, I'm always weary about the these kinds of exchanges without hearing what the, exactly the bylaws and regulations that would change are. Interestingly, the amount of the deal with all rural communities in Canada is the same amount that the federal government has reached with Ottawa alone. The article doesn't end up saying what regulations need to be targeted or changed, but it does end with a note that these updates are being made at the same time that, quote, support for the party is tanking, unquote. It's so interesting to me how little information we actually get related to housing when it comes to housing reporting and housing news. Like if it's as simple as forcing municipalities to change bylaws to build more housing, then that probably would have been the way that this story is talked about all the time. But we know that the critical reason why housing has gotten so expensive in Canada is because the federal government got out of affordable housing and housing that was public. When that happened, there was a shift in mentality to push people towards getting mortgages as a way to secure their financial future in a house, as a way to secure their housing future. We know how that happened, what happened, how that turned out. And so I'm really confused thinking what exactly about $3,000 per new unit of housing that is built within a municipality is actually going to go to building homes. Municipalities don't have enough scrutiny on them. There's not enough people paying attention to the finances. And this, frankly, seems like a recipe for inefficiency and corruption. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. We certainly don't get any indication about whether or not that's a possibility in this article. Next to international news and a very short story from Reuters. Reuters is reporting that at least three Palestinians have been killed and 10 were injured when Israeli snipers opened fire on the Nasser medical complex in Gaza. The news came from the Palestinian Health Authority. What isn't clear is whether or not this is the same incident that was reported four days ago by Al Jazeera or if the Israeli snipers have been shooting outside the hospital complex for days. I think it's probably the latter, considering how short the news is, because otherwise there would be reference to previous days of sniper shooting. In the previous days, medical staff said that they've been targeted as well, and some 21 people have been killed as of a February 9th report in Al Jazeera. I'm just going to say, you know, the folks who climbed the Mount Sinai sign in Toronto, the hospital in downtown Toronto, on their way to the U.S. consulate, mm, 
if only Canadian politicians gave a little bit, a little bit of a rat's ass about this stuff, as much as they do to these ridiculous, overblown, fake stories, fake, and in this case, I mean fake, you know, the leader of the Liberal Party, Bonnie Crombie, saying that the hospital was infiltrated by Palestinian activists, which is not true, that's fake. I mean, there is a connection here, folks, and we need to be the ones, I don't know, forcing them to make it? I don't know. I don't know. And finally, the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission has released a report that says that Ethiopia's security forces killed at least 45 civilians in January, but the commission warns that the number could be higher. The attack happened in the town of Marawi in Amhara State, and the commission was able to confirm the identities of at least 45 civilians who were killed. They were killed for allegedly supporting FANO, an armed Amhara ethnic group. A U.S.-based Amhara group called the Amhara Association of America said that they've tracked 70 drone strikes against the region since May. Al Jazeera notes that the Ethiopian army is the only group that has armed drones in Ethiopia. This is the most violence seen in Ethiopia since a peace agreement was signed between Ethiopia and the people in the region of Tigray. That happened in 2022. Fano fought alongside Ethiopian troops in Tigray, but when the government dismantled state paramilitaries across Ethiopia, Amhara nationalists protested. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, February 14th. I'm Nora. Okay, yes, it is Valentine's Day, and I hope that... Uh, no, I don't... Valentine's Day is stupid as hell, so I'm not, I don't hope for anything other than I will say I love you all so much for all the support that you give me and Sandy and this project. And I hope that the love that we have for you is love that you can feel in your hearts. You're listening to this podcast at sandynor.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and anywhere you get your podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful day. I'm actually going to be smelling the cherry blossoms in Victoria in about, ooh, I don't know, six hours. So wish me luck. <laughs>